I have with me Shewa Adigu, one third of the team. How History of continent size proportion is coming to the Winter Games. Just to give you case in point, I tried to get six athletes and four coaches out of the country of Nigeria just to be able to compete and train, but we couldn't even get visas because the Nigerian passport is one of the bottom 5% passports to travel with. So we lose over 10 grand of money that we already don't have because we're still building as a young federation, just on trying to get passports alone. Welcome back to Flame Bears, keeping the fire burning. I'm your host, Jamie. Before we jump into today's episode, two items we want to flag. One, we are finalists in the Signal Awards, Listener's Choice Awards for both diversity, equity, and inclusion, and public service and activism. If you appreciate the stories we tell, please vote for us. Information in the show notes and via all social media channels. Two, we also want to extend an invite to people of all genders, ages 18 to 30, to apply to the Flame Bears Fellowship. Again, details in the show notes and via social. Now, back to why you're actually here. In today's episode, we speak with Dr. Shayun Adigan, two-time Nigerian Olympic bobsledder and track and field runner, but that's not all. She's also a biomechanist, a chiropractor, and a founder. We discuss her commitment to diversity and equity within the Olympic movement. My name is Dr. Shone Adigun. I am a two-time Olympian, the first summer and winter Olympian from the continent of Africa. I did the sport of track and field in 2012. I ran the 100-meter hurdles. And in 2018, I drove the first ever Nigerian bobsled team, which was full of women. <laughs> and actually now I am a chiropractor and a biomechanist by trade. So I work in the sports medicine field, really trying to help pour this back into the next generation of athletes. So what does it mean to you to be the first African summer and winter Olympian? That's huge. Absolutely huge. It is an honor. Like, I don't know. I feel like honor is not really a strong enough word, honestly. Gosh, to be the first to do something, especially in this day and age, like, that was in 2018. Like, we've already been on this earth for how many centuries? And I was the first person to do what I did and still currently the only person on the planet to have done what I did. And it's just like, that is an overwhelming thought. And I think to protect myself, my brain chooses not to own all of that because it's heavy. I mean, we're talking about over a billion people on the continent of Africa, over 220 million people in Nigeria alone. And that doesn't even include the diaspora impact that we have from Africa. There are probably just as many people in the diaspora, essentially anybody Black, you know, that is represented by the continent of Africa. And so to be the first, not just the first for Nigeria, but the first for Africa to do something, yeah, that comes with a lot. So I am dedicated to making sure that I'm not just paving the way, but I am making way for people to blaze their own trail along that same path. Dr. Adigan, you've had so many incredible moments. Which one are you most proud of? 
you know, there's so, so many that I can pinpoint, but I think the epitome of what I represent was watching that Nigerian flag wave at the Winter Olympics for the first time ever in its history of existence as a country, knowing that that flag was waving for something, someone, a billion people on a continent and its billion plus diasporal effect. So I think that that was definitely probably one of the the biggest highlights of my life. I'm sure I have a gazillion others, but that's the first one that popped into my head. That is so beautiful. Can you describe that moment for us? Oh, man. You know, sometimes even reliving it feels unreal. Like, it doesn't feel like that's me. It feels like I watched it. I remember feeling a complete out-of-body experience. Like, like I said, even as I was walking in, I felt like I was watching myself walk in. And I just, all I could think about was the reminder of the moment when I realized that I wanted to represent Nigeria. It was 2000 Olympics. And that was the first time I'd ever watched the opening ceremonies on TV. When Nigeria walked in, just like how much of an uproar there was. And we had family that was in town during that time and they were watching it with us. And everybody was like, wow. Everywhere I go, people are talking about Africans not being cool and Africa this and Africa that and Nigerians being corrupt and all this. And here was this moment where I felt like there was nothing but pride and happiness and joy. And there was like an honor to be Nigerian. And it was brought on by these athletes who chose to wave this flag and represent this country, wear it on their chest. And I was like, you know what, when I grow up, if I ever become a professional athlete and go to the Olympics, I want to do that for Nigeria. All I did was just march and smiled and danced and just was numb. It was so awesome. Thanks so much for describing that to me. And I know Beijing was your third Olympic Games, but you were in a very different role than in the other two. This time, it was in a role unathletic, which was super cool because I went as really a representative of a couple things. One, Nigerians in winter sports, because for the first time we had a ski athlete. I was credentialed, most importantly, as the team doctor, which is like insane. I go from the last Olympics as an athlete and I'm back at the next Olympics as the the team doctor. But like team personnel and whatever aspect we needed, media, whatever. Like I was all of the things, all of the things that we needed to be. And also I was the flag bearer. So you obviously hold a whole bunch of different identities. What are the different identities that you hold most dear? Well, there is the obvious, right? So I'm a Black woman, right? But then we start breaking down what does it actually mean to be Black, right? There comes that identity of either you're Black, you're African-American, because being born and raised here in the United States as a Nigerian, I always felt a sense of split identity as first generation because life was one way when we were outside and life is a totally different way inside the house, which I'm sure many first generation from all over the world can connect to. And 
I see myself as somebody that a lot of people tend to look up to, which I'm really grateful for because, I mean, I've, I think I've always had a certain level of maturity and just like calm and understanding, like a really high level of understanding. But even I struggled so much with identity. And it really wasn't until like last year that I really started to understand that like, I represent so much. Like I would say that I represent Black Americans. I represent literally African-Americans, specifically Nigerian-Americans. I represent women in sports, women in a male-dominated sports industry field or sports medicine field, rather. I Mm -hmm. represent so many barriers that have needed to be broken over the course of our lifetime. Totally. And your academic record is insane. I actually currently hold five degrees. I held two bachelors, two masters, and a doctorate. And so one of the masters, one of the bachelors, and the doctorate were all being done at the same time during the the time when I was starting to philosophy. So when you talk about stress, oh, oh, your girl felt all of it. (laughs) I went back to school only because I wanted to figure out how to get all the tools to help save athletes from injuries. I personally found out at the Olympic Games while I had a stress fracture in my left tibia in 2012 that I had an anatomically short leg on that side. And had anybody been able to tell me that before that I was in the best shape of my life, having the season of my life, and I couldn't do anything because I basically had a broken leg and it was ready to snap in half at any point in time. And I was a hurdler. So it was like, literally, I could take the wrong landing and it'll be over for me. So I was like, well, if I could, if I had someone that helped me during the time when I was trying to understand how to be the best track athlete, maybe my track career would have been totally different. And I just felt like there was stuff that was missing in sports medicine. And for me, I wanted to make sure that I helped to unravel what was necessary for sports medicine to reach its peak and to really help people. So I was like, I'm going back to school. I resigned from a job that I absolutely loved. I was coaching track and field at University of Houston for five years. I loved it. It was it was the epitome of what I represented, pouring to the people physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and let them witness their greatness. But I felt like there was more, there was something missing and I needed to go back to school to find it. And so on a mission again, to just help people and to create positive opportunity for people, I went back to school on a dual degree track to do the doctorate of chiropractic and um, the master's in health and human behavior. And I was like, but isn't that stupid? Like five degrees, like who does that? Just do it. You do. (laughs) I know, right? Here we go. You do. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) Dr. Adigan, you're really passionate about diversity and representation and equity within sport. What are your thoughts about where we are in regards to representation within the Olympic and Paralympic movement today? We have so much work to do. We've gotten places and we can't disregard how much we've actually been able to move forward and what type of strides we've made. But when it comes to women in sports, we still have a long way to go. The battle is is getting included in the first place, like having people recognize that, oh, this is very much a possibility. 
that mm-hmm. you can have Africa in the sport and they can be successful. But then there's the second part of it, which is the difference between equality and equity, right? Because the inclusion part is equality. We're trying to create an equal opportunity for everyone to be a part of our sport. Well, the equity is making sure you bridge the gap between how this happens. Because it's hard enough just getting people out of the continent of Africa to now go compete in Europe, in South Asia, in all these other places because we don't have support in our continent. And so when you think you're doing a favor to Africa by just letting us play, you're not. Like, Mm-mm. all you're doing is making sure that every continent actually has representation. You know, the best people who put in all their work should be able to compete. Yeah, they should, as long as when they have equal opportunity to do the same thing. Right, like exactly. You can't have a one hundred year head start on someone and think that there there's an equal opportunity there. It just doesn't. Not at all. You got to give people the chance to actually try to get to that point. Totally. And the only reason why it feels like you're doing a favor for Africa in most of these instances because it's not just in our federation, the Bob Foot Skeleton Federation, where this was an issue. I mean, the same thing is seen in curling. You know, like it's true. There's no international spot there as well. But all the sports that are thriving and that have done well, like the Ski Federation, they have opportunities to allow all the continents representation and they thrive. I wanted to do some more digging around the idea of sport being an agent of change. So I sat down with someone who's focused on this, specifically in the context of the Black community. My name is Dr. Keetra Armstrong. And I am a professor of sport management, and I'm also the director of the Center for Race and Ethnicity in Sport in the School of Kinesiology at the University of Michigan. I'm a former student athlete, coach, and administrator, so sport has been such a part of my life, and it's a part of my scholarship. And of course, being a woman of color and having lived many of the intersections of race and gender and class, and I must say I'm a proud native of Tupelo, Mississippi. So I hail from the South, so I bring in that, that geography. So there's a lot going on in my life that I've tried to bring to my, my scholarship and I bring to my, my classes. So essentially I'm a, a, what you would classify as a sports sociologist but I just bring a social cultural lens to the enterprise of sport and to help us to understand the dynamics of sport through a social psychological and a social cultural lens. And so that's kind of, that's it, it actually represents not just who I am, but it's what I do. And it's just a part of my truth. And that's what I try to share in as many platforms as I can. Why does African representation in the Olympics matter? Representation matters. I I cannot say it enough, bold, underline, exclamation point, all caps. Representation matters. And, you know, to be clear, Africans have been represented in the Olympics in many capacities for many years. Many Africans uh, are representing U.S. entities in many regards. So we know that Africans have had a presence in the Olympics under the mask and sometimes under the auspices of other countries. But I like seeing the, the continent of Africa being represented boldly. Like, I just, I love it. I, I, I will tell you this, a part of my research, when we talk about race and identity, interestingly enough, oftentimes black Americans root for African athletes, even when the African athletes may be competing against the US. 
white athletes. So my point is oftentimes we see racial identity. It takes paramount over citizenship in many regards because for so long, or in many cases, uh, you know, black people's connection and identification with this country is often tempered. And so oftentimes seeing, I remember before, even talking to some friends, I remember we had this conversation, they were all, I was with them, rooting for the African athlete because we wanna see blackness win. We wanna see African win, those of us of African ancestry. And we understand the challenges and we want to see blackness win and we want to see Africa win. And so representation in the Olympics is really, really critical. But we often associate African representation in very customary ways. The long distance runners, you know, the Kenyan runners have dominated the marathons for years, for eons, right? And we also see in track and field, we see Africans dominating there. What I love is when we see Africans in those sports that they're not supposed to be because they're breaking the norms and the mores and the values of where blackness is supposed to appear. So I love it when I see blackness and when I see Africans in the Winter Olympics and then those sports that are considered a white sport. I absolutely love it. I've been to South Africa, I've been to Ghana, and it's really interesting how they find a way, there's a spirit, there's a resilience, and people don't understand what it took for them to get there. Like sport is a piece of cake compared to the issues, the social, cultural, historical, political issues and the terrains that they have to navigate, but they do it and they do it with grace and they do it with such resilience and fortitude. It's not celebrated enough, because we're so entitled in the US, I think oftentimes we minimize the struggle that you know our brothers and sisters in Africa have to contend with. And so representation matters, but it matters for so many reasons for Africans to have a place because they've contributed to sports for so long and they've helped to grow the business, the multi-billion dollar business that sport is in the US, that's off of African labor as well. And so I, I just, I love it. I love to see African representation in places where they're quote unquote, not supposed to be. Because how dare anyone define for them their destiny. And we see African countries in the Winter Olympics. I absolutely love it. So where do we go from here? Here's Dr. Adigan. Just encourage the participation of Africans in the winter sports, you know, and as they see these African athletes or African nations that are participating, really show support, really highlighting that, man, this is something that they are really working to do. And, and then there's obviously an argument of like, well, everyone has to start from somewhere. Yeah, you know, that's true. But just to give you case in point, I tried to get six athletes and two and four coaches out of the country of Nigeria just to be able to compete and train, but we couldn't even get visas because the Nigerian passport is one of the bottom 5% passports to travel with. So we lose over 10 grand of money that we already don't have because we're still building as a young federation just on trying to get passports alone. So just for us to be able to show up at this line is a yeah. thing. That's a thing to get out of the country to compete because where else can we compete and do well? And so I'm 
trying to get creative with things like virtual reality simulation, bringing winter to Africa mm. so that they have the opportunity to train. Because outside of that, you're still talking about the sport. We're talking about getting to the sporting venue. Getting there. Yeah. Right. Like, this is an actual thing and not something that we have control over. We've got support letters from the Ministry of Sport, support letters from our Nigerian Olympic Committee, support letters from the International Committee, support letters from the actual countries that are inviting us. Like, we will submit these four letters from all these international bodies and still got denied. Oh, that's so frustrating. Tell me about <laughs> it. And, and you can imagine the type of moral, like, demise that comes with that, right? Like, these athletes, they get their hopes up that we're finally going to be able to train and compete. Totally. We want to represent our country only to be told, no, you can't leave. Stay here. Like, everyone already thinks it's a joke that Africans are on ice in the first place. And it becomes a, a revolving cycle of just trying to reboost your hope, reboost your hope, reboost mm -hmm. your faith, reboost your faith. Well, you're doing it. I wanted to get a personal take on Dr. Adigan, so I sat down with someone who knows her really well. Hi, my name is Chichi Wodia, and I am a certified Legree trainer and a personal trainer, and I work with Dr. Adigan in the sports medicine industry specifically. We partner together, or I partner with her practice using the Legree method. She's a good role model because she takes the mantle of being a leader very seriously, very seriously. I mean, at, at her core, she has a compassionate heart and such a spirit of giving. And it's just a foundational strength and mentality of hers. I think people should hear her story because we need more examples and meaningful conversations of what the drive or the path to success and what actual success looks like within the African woman's experience. There is knowledge and power for all of us, regardless of you know our backgrounds or ethnicities or status. And Shayun is a woman having a high level human experience with so much fight in her and that should be celebrated and shared for all of our benefit. Dr. Armstrong, what are the main barriers limiting African representation? One of the biggest challenges is the infrastructure and systemic support. In the U.S., we have such entitlements that sports, youth sport programs are available, particularly now. Almost even hockey and those and field hockey and the sports lacrosse that weren't typically sports that people of color who were really underrepresented in those sports really didn't have an opportunity. So one of the one of the challenges I think is the lack of infrastructure already in place. So like they're trying to catch up. Africa is trying to catch up. In other countries, they've been doing this for years and they've invested a lot of money. They've invested the time, the personal resources, the physical resources, but other countries have also embraced the culture of sports. One of the challenges, for example, the challenge that we're having now is why Brittany Griner had to leave the U.S. to go to Russia was because even in the U.S., her value as a professional women's athlete wasn't celebrated to the extent that it was in Russia and other countries. And so my point is other countries are still trying to catch on to the value and the role of sport in general, 
but sport for women in particular. And so I think one of the, again, the, I think the key barrier is the infrastructure, the lack of policies, the lack of a strategic plan to socialize and grow the sport and finance the sport and find ways to elevate the sport and securely plan it into the culture of various parts of Africa. And then having visited different parts of Africa, it, just like in the US, there haves and have nots. Some places have nice facilities and they have coaches and they have trainers and they have the best of the best. Others are merely struggling and they're using things like gardening as a way of getting physical activity. So they're using life skills to help develop sport training and sports skills. So, but on the other hand though, I think that breeds an ingenuity. On the other hand, I think that sometimes in the U.S. we're so entitled, it comes so easy. In the other countries and places that I visited didn't have the infrastructure in place, they found a way to make a way. And so they were very ingenious in how they developed those skills. But that's the biggest thing, I think, is lack of structural infrastructure, lack of strategic plan, lack of resources, financial resources, physical resources, and then the lack of an overall culture that says we value sport and we understand what it can do to the fabric of our environment, to the fiber of our community. It's getting there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what's gonna happen because it's not because they can't. You know, I believe the impossible is often untried. It's not that they can't do it as it hasn't been tried, but now that they're trying it, given the ingenuity and the fundamental entrepreneurial spirit that I think Africa breeds, I think that we're in for some excitement. I think the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Dr. Adigan, why is it important to be able to see Nigeria represented at the Winter Olympics? You know, it's the same thing from that feeling I was explaining to you that happened in 2000. Something about you just lives a little bit longer when you see someone that looks like you. You can aspire to things that you never thought were possible. And like I told you, the opportunities in Africa are, are endless, but they're not fully utilized because Unfortunately, the continent is still unpackaging a lot of the remnants of colonialization. Yeah. So the things that this generation of older individuals in, on the continent have experienced were all as a result of survival mechanisms, not of trying to actually thrive and succeed. And so here comes a generation like ours and the ones younger that actually now are seeing that, wait a minute, wait, we can do things. Like, we don't only have to survive, we can actually live, right? Like, life totally. isn't just about survival, it's about the experience that you have when you are living. And mm -hmm. when you're able to now pour that into somebody who's only been taught to survive their whole life, it brings a level of hope, it brings a level of aspiration, it opens up their mind to the possibilities within, and it untaps a lot of the talents that they never knew that they even had. I was curious if other African Winter Olympians felt similarly about African representation at the Winter Olympics. So I sat down with a, another African winter athlete to provide another data point. Carlos, Dr. Adigan shared that she felt a huge opportunity and responsibility being African at the Winter Olympics. My name is Carlos Mader. I am an all-time skier for Ghana, located in Switzerland. I've been adopted to Switzerland, so that's why I know skiing. Carlos, 
Dr. Adigan shared that she felt a huge opportunity and responsibility being African at the Winter Olympics. Do you feel similarly? Do you feel this matters? I received so many mails and messages, not only from African, from Colombian, from other South American that saw me and were like, hey, that is such an inspiration. How did you do that? Can you tell me? I mean, like, I'm from Colombia. I, I can ski. Can you tell me how you did it and uh, help me how, maybe find a way how to do it? So it released a lot. And in Ghana, you know, skiing was not known, actually. I mean, maybe from some people that have more money and can travel to Europe to ski. But like in the population, and I could really raise awareness for that. And even if you cannot ski in Ghana, people interest for what you're doing. And, that, and on the other side, I mean, it's sports. If you do another sports, just keep it going and re try to reach your goals. And then you can reach something very incredible. Dr. Adigan, what happened after the games? Did you have a slump? This season is all about afterwards. That's a real thing. It is. Even as somebody who has had my future thing set up, my plan B put together, it's hard. From a federation standpoint, for example, you go viral multiple times, you know, as a team, as a federation. Everyone gets excited because it's an Olympic year. But the moment the Olympics are over, then it's almost like everyone fades to black. And you have to wait another three years before people start looking for their story again, right? So you have to find a way to survive three years to make it back to the point where somebody would even care enough to tell your story. That's hard when you're a growing federation, when you're a growing team, when you don't really have the resources, you don't have the financial backing and funding. And then as an individual, there just becomes this expectation that Olympians, you get the clout and the notoriety from the media coverage and the fame, I mm -hmm. guess, especially when you're the Cinderella story of the game. But that doesn't translate to like real life because Olympianism is actually amateurism. So most Olympians have jobs, they work because you don't get paid as an Olympian. And so you've got all these like false levels of expectation financially. And what people in my case didn't realize is that I wasn't even working because <laughs> I was in school. <laughs> I finished school right. December 2017 and went to the Olympics January 2018. So I wasn't working yeah. for three and a half, four years before going to the game. So any income that I was getting was based on living on student loans and budgeting that and then using part of my student loans to fund an entire country. So after the games, I actually was in a really bad position because I was in a lot of debt trying to run a federation for an entire country. Jeez. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to celebrate, but there's a lot that people don't know that it doesn't quite get celebrated. And then you're kind of just left after the Olympics. And if you don't have a medal, for sure, you can have an amazing story, but you're just another Olympian, which is cool to have the title, but it doesn't yeah. always translate to livelihood. So a lot of people totally. get pretty, pretty down about it. How do you think about your future? I think my future is just now starting, believe it or not. Although I've done some pretty cool things and remarkable for my age and time, I think that 
my true impact is going to come in what I pour into these next future generations, not necessarily what I have achieved as an individual and just the different projects that I'm working on to help make space and create a way for people to thrive and live. I think for me, my future, the foundations of it are in what I'm building to help revolutionize sports medicine in my practice as a chiropractor and a biomechanist. Dr. Armstrong, why is Dr. Adigan's story important to see and hear? She is Black girl magic personified. When you see the words Black girl magic, her face, her picture should appear. She is a scholar. She's an educator. She's an entrepreneur. She's a leader. And she's a world-class athlete. Oh, by the way, and she's good at what she's doing. And it just shows the multiplicity. And she's doing it at the intersections of race and gender and, and location and heritage and geography. And the list goes on. She's doing it in a way that, again, unapologetic. She is unapologetic in showcasing Black girl magic. And she's doing it in a way that's, that's impacting a whole continent. A whole world, because I don't. Her impact is not just reserved for what she's doing for Nigeria and various other parts of Africa. She's created this federation, this winter federation. So it's impacting the Olympic movement overall. And so what she has done, what she is doing, is nothing less than remarkable. Black women in track and field—that's what we expect. Black women in bobsledding and curling and skeleton and like. What do you mean? We don't even know what those things are because it's, it's not a part of socialization. It, it's much like hockey in the US. Asking black kids to play ice hockey, they what? There's no rinks in the hood. Where, where am I gonna do this, right? Because there's no system of socialization. There's no structure in place to socialize them to these sports. And she is doing what people thought was impossible. What gets you up in the morning? What's your why? My why is knowing that I'm going to do one thing today to help impact change, positive change in someone's life. And I think that that's been the why for me in every single thing that I've done. And I had to figure out, like, it seems like I'm all over the place, but realistically, that is the common thread. The common thread is just that I'm dedicated every single day to making sure that I do one thing every day to not only maximize the life that I have, but also to or something positive into the life of someone else. Dr. Adigan, what is the one action you want listeners around the world to take after listening to your episode? I want people to take to always give yourself the little victories. Life is hard, or it can be, right? And we usually are harder on ourselves than we need to be. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I dedicated myself to was every single day to make sure that I took away at least one small victory. Hmm. Because a penny isn't worth much when it stands by itself. But if you put enough of them in the piggy bank, eventually you can cash out pretty big. Thanks for tuning into Flame Bears, keeping the fire burning. Final reminder to apply to the Flame Bears Fellowship in partnership with WomenX. If you're a women's sports professional or professional athlete looking to propel your career to new heights, WomenX can help you. Start exploring her sport courses at womenx.org 
where you can learn from women with women. Thank you to my amazing teammates, Marissa Potter and Lizzie Michael. And as always, to my mentors, Dino Catano and Emma Minto for your ongoing support. We'll catch you on our next episode.